Film Studios, the only podcast that takes you inside the mind of two film studio executives as we unravel and then re-ravel the best that Hollywood has to offer. I'm Isaac. And I'm AJ. And this week, Queen Elizabeth hired Vincent van Gogh to cut off his own ear as he searched desperately for foster kids to call his own. But before we get into something new, it's time for something old as we check in on our last feature in Box Office Report. Uh, So last week we released the uh, Wall Street uh, horror uh, film The Pantheon, which yes. sort of delved into the ancient Greek rituals mm-hmm. around the uh, the banking sector of Wall Street in the 80s, yep. starring Margot Robbie and uh, Dakota uh, Johnston. Dakota Johnston, yes. Uh, how did that go last week, uh, we set We set a record, uh, and the record we set is most consecutive lawsuits filed against a production ever. Really? As soon as we uh, announced this film that it was going to be set on Wall Street, Every single company on Wall Street and somehow a firm representing the physical street itself launched multiple lawsuits in our direction. I'm talking hundreds of lawsuits for a huge amount of infractions. Um, So we are kind of in a very, very... And when I say legal bind, I mean legal bind. There is enough legal paper here to wrap up our entire building twice over. Uh, so we have not really been able to start production on this film. I wasn't aware Wall Street was doing it because I, I, I was... I'm only under the impression of the, the legal case we have against the country of Greece. Yes. Because uh, sort of like China does with the panda, yep. um, where you have to pay them licensing to for if you want to have that animal. Yep. Ancient uh, the, uh, the Greeks have put a thing against the okay. ancient Greek deities, yep. where any mention of them in any film, okay. we also have to pay licensing yep. for, yep. which, I mean, we've done this a number of times. We did the Puppums, yep. did uh, the Odyssey, yep. um, and they're, they're sort of trying to get back catalogs from, I think it's they're just trying to buoy up their own economy. <laughs> but but we have we have a number of like every every single time we mention the word Zeus or Artemis or, Pol- or Apollo, yep. they've put a separate infraction case against us. I've been I, I thought <sighs> all the legal paper was for that as well. I didn't know anything. So had you're to telling do with me we're also being sued by Greece and the, the country the of country Greece. of Greece for usage of the Greek gods. Okay, yep. so not only are we being sued by Wall Street, every company that's on there, and also Greece. Uh, I've just been handed two more lawsuits from Dakota Johnson and um, Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie, and the reason why is because we use their names liberally, uh, liberally in, um, or liberally rather, in last and week's episode, and libelously as well. Um, in fact, the two mentions of their name I just mentioned in this podcast are going to get added to that suit as well. So we are being sued up the ass. Oh God! I, I don't know. Whatever we make well, this week, I've just got one as well. We're also being sued by um, the Californian redwood. Apparently, so much paper has been milled from the trees to launch the lawsuits against us that they're suing us for the manufacture of paper, which is causing deforestation. Why has that our fault? I mean, apparently, all the papers here, so technically we own it, and technically it's our fault. Right. This is getting ridiculous. This is getting really ridiculous. All right, any film that we make this week is purely going to cover the legal costs for last week's debacle, so we're going to really have to knock it out of the park here. All right, so let's move on to uh, this week in trailers. And first up, we have Instant Family, starring uh, Mark Wahlberg, Rose Byrne, and directed by uh, a dude called Sean Anders, who's done films. Um, And so this film uh, is about Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne. They're a couple. Uh, who are looking to start a family, and instead of going down the natural pregnancy route, they decide to adopt foster kids instead. 
uh, and end up adopting, I think, three of them? Three, yeah. Three so of them? They, yeah. They, they meet a pretty sassy girl at the Foster Day parent fair where they get to meet the kids and they decide they're going to give her a go and it turns out she has two younger siblings yep. who are also... It's a package deal. It's a package deal, absolutely. They take them home and I'm like, oh, this is this a comedy? Is this a drama? It looks a little bit more like a drama. And yep. then they start playing sports and <laughs> yep. the, the younger of the kids just keeps getting hit in the face with baseballs yep. and basketballs. Yep. I'm like, oh, it's a comedy. And yep. they're like, oh, no, and then it hits these really serious drama moments of you're not my real mum and I'm yep. running away. Yep. I'm like, oh, maybe it's a drama. And then uh, they start smashing things with hammers. I'm like, oh, <laughs> maybe it's a comedy. I don't know if the film knows what yeah. it wants to be. It seems like a really weird blend of the two. It's the kind of film where if someone who if someone walks into the film because they haven't seen a comedy or a drama before and they just need a really easy like entry into those two genres, this is the perfect film for it because it's the kind of film where the comedy is there and it's, you know, people getting hit in the face with balls and stuff and like it also looks like like an Adam Sandler film. It looks like grown-ups yeah. in the way that it has these weird sort of crane shots. Everything's bright and saturated. The soundtrack sort of yeah. feels like it's generic comedy soundtrack. Yep. But they've kind of missed the point of going, oh, no, we're not dealing with a subject matter which is conducive to comedy at all. Yep. And so we kind of then have to put this weird slapstick over the top and yep. it just doesn't... It feels... It looks horrid. And I'm- Yeah. It, it, like, I felt the residual belly flop pain of just how badly <laughs> I just feel that like, this film is going to flop so badly it's it echoing is. through time and i'm but getting you, you just know that plain people will go and see it you know the people that have like half a personality and just sort of have a, a schedule for every day of their lives and they'll sort of do a wild thing one night and go out and watch a comedy film and this will be it this will be what they watch and they will mildly enjoy it and it will make it its money back and it's also got rose Byrne in it she seemed to be playing like the generic wife of like a slightly dysfunctional character she was with uh, seth rogan in yep. bad neighbors um, she's been in a few other films. I think Peter Rabbit. She was in recently. <laughs> Peter Rabbit. She was in Bridesmaids, right? I feel as though she sort of plays that uh, kind of character in Bridesmaids. Yes, she was, and she was also in Neighbours. Neighbours. Well, it's Bad Neighbours in Australia. I yep. mentioned that yep. one. Our Spy. I think she was in as yes, well. I'm not she sure was anyone's wife. And and now, we're, now we're just naming Rosebud films. <laughs> I think we've gone <laughs> off track a little bit. All right. Uh, on to uh, the next film for this week's episode, which is. At Eternity's Gate, starring Willem Dafoe, Oscar Isaac, Oscar Isaac and Mads, Mads Mikkelsen. Mikkelsen. If um, you think the name of this film is pretentious, wait until you watch the trailer. <laughs> uh, this is about the life and times of Vincent van Gogh, yes. or Van Gogh, I think as it's pronounced in Dutch. Um, that's, that's how he heard it after uh, he cut his ear off. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think uh, from the director of The Butterfly and the Diving Bell, or it's it's just like, oh, I'm Vincent van Gogh and I want to paint, but the world doesn't like my painting yeah. and I'm struggling against it. And then Mads Mikkelsen, I think, as a priest, is like, if God wanted yeah, to punish yeah. you, do you think he'd make you paint? And um, Oscar Isaac plays Gauguin, <laughs> I think, is another <laughs> Dutch painter of the same time frame. And it's just, it's really just William Defoe going through these incredibly scenic, Dutch landscapes yep. and like standing there with an easel and painting basically and then townsfolk uh, sort of like with pitchforks chewing him out of town because he's painting so he's got that confronting. whole he's got the Frankenstein kind of thing going there no one understands me I've been born into this world and I don't understand it and it doesn't understand me and there are literal pitchforks and people like burying his art as well yeah. like it's, it's a bit it's a bit like that at Eternity's Gate is 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 the name of a, a relatively famous uh, painting by him as well, but it on the poster, it's got that kind of like uh, that stupid. It's so pretentious. It is like having said that, William Defoe looks so much oh, yeah. like he Vincent is just, Van Gogh. He's a crazy. dead ringer for Vincent Van Gogh uh, in a way that like 
I'm kind of kicking myself for not casting him yeah, not seeing as it a earlier. Vincent Van Gogh Did character. Did Paul Bettany play Vincent Van Gogh at one stage as well? He might have. I'm yeah. trying to think back. We we did an El Salvador film where we cast Benedict Cumberbatch, I think, as Salvador, Salvador Dali. Dali. That's not a good match. It's, I mean, we, we, we're we struggling there. Cause <laughs> like you, gotta, you just put in a great big moustache. William Defoe has the eyes. He has yeah. the demeanour. The lack of an ear. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a giant straw hat, which apparently is also a problem. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you can see at Eternity's Gate. Yeah, uh, this is definitely going at, at for that point awards buzz, um, and they're trying really, really hard yeah. for it. It looks, it does actually look quite beautiful. It's and it's it got does. it's got some interesting aspects of color when he's sort of going through his manic fits. It either goes yep. yellow or blue. Yeah, and it, I'm like. I think it'll be handled quite nicely, but it just, it really is trying so hard to be mm. um, Oscar worthy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on to the final film for this week's episode, which is The Favourite, uh, starring uh, Emma Stone, Rachel Weiss, and Olivia Coleman. Yes. Um, and it's about, it's a sort of a historical drama film with some aspects of black comedy in it, centred around uh, Queen Anne from um, English. Really? I mean, it didn't really specifically say. I thought it was Queen Victoria, but... Uh, I'm just reading off. Yeah, okay. If it's Queen Anne, then that's... I I believe you. (laughs) Uh, And Sarah Churchill, who's played by Rachel Weisz. Cool. Um, So, I mean, basically, it's... The the Queen is quite temperamental. Yep. And she has two handmaidens, one played by Rachel Weisz, one played by Emma Stone. Mm -hmm. And they are vying to be the Queen's favourite, and they're kind of very... Um, at each other's throats and the stakes of the the, the levels that we're they're willing to descend to to um, either tarnish the other one's reputation yes. or cause them pain or grief or injury um, escalates to the point where it becomes this sort of farcical uh, you know I you know you. <laughs> I can't even remember. They shoot one of them shoots a bird and the other one's splattered in their blood all over their face. Yeah, yeah. One of them's thrown out of a carriage, one of them is has disappeared for months and sort of finally finding her way back home. Yeah, you get the idea that Rachel Weiss's character is very acerbic and, and um quite conniving in a sort of slightly evil and demented way, whereas Emma Stone's got a little bit more of the wide-eyed well i mean obviously with her but like wide-eyed innocent um not really sure what's going on here but i'm going to play your game anyway yeah. kind of thing so there's and a- then i think she also then learns to master the game just as yes um so i i was looking at this like for the first couple of seconds of the trailer i'm like i hope this is a comedy yeah and then you see olivia coleman as queen anne um and she's uh went through the footlights with david mitchell and robert webb yep. and did a lot of the mitchell and webb uh, comedy as well and it was like and then you see her like just stuffing her face <laughs> and and falling over i'm like oh thank goodness this is yeah. got this dark comedy that to go with it's, that sort it's of a, historical it's a black dramedy yeah. i think is basically how you can uh or dramedy rather is basically how you can describe this uh so i'm not really sure what the actual film's going to feel like when it comes out really interestingly shot as well a lot of like the use of fisheye lenses yeah. for uh, various tracking shots and it has a very weird otherworldly kind of tone to it so um kind of feels a little bit moulin rouge-ish a in, little bit yeah in, but, in the way that it's it's kind the, of like a bleak. surreal historical yeah. um that they, they, they don't really shy away from like they're in costumes but it it is very muddy it's yeah, very yeah. dirty it is. It's the British Moulin Rouge. So, you know, Moulin Rouge in France is full of colour, full <laughs> of pep, full of style. Moulin Rouge in England is full of brown and overcast guys. Yes. Uh, so this is what... And no music either. So uh, see that later. Oh, actually, maybe next year if you're in the UK. Oh, you've probably already seen it if you've been through the 
film festivals <laughs> probably Although these yeah. are the ones where it's like it shows up with there's all olive leaves all, Affi- yeah. everywhere <laughs> oh we were at Cannes and we were at Toronto and we were at Sundance official and selection. look at all of these li- yep. laurels that we have won is there an unofficial selection for these film festivals is that why they need to like designate one as official possibly I mean surely then anyone who's just submitted their film can yeah. say unofficial selection Didn't we have this idea if we just like if we just have a, a film showing sort of adjacent to yeah, the absolutely. festival we can just say unofficial selection we, we did that we actually did that at the last uh, uh, Sundance we just brought our laptops and sat in the middle of the town <laughs> didn't even and project just it w- watched <laughs> our own film go yep it was shown at Sundance during the festival I don't know what I don't know what else you need from us <laughs> All right, those are the trailers for this week's episode. But of course, before we can do anything with those, we're going to have to take a little walk over to the green room. Let's go. Right, here we are. Now, let's have a quick recap of this week's films. All right, first up, we have a sickly sweet family comedy drama um, with sure. uh, unlikely parents and unwilling kids. Yep. Uh, we have a incredibly pretentious <laughs> look at the life of a historic uh, artist. Yep. And we have a, what you described, I think it was a, a black dramedy uh, yep. set in a historical period. Yes. What we what I didn't mention um, with the uh, the difference between uh, At Eternity's Gate and The Favourite mm. was the stark contrast in the, the genders of the um, actors. So the, the big three in uh, At Eternity's Gate were um, uh, William Defoe, Oscar Isaac, and Mads Mikkelsen, yep. all th- very th- uh, um, strong male performers. Yep. And then you have uh, The Favourite with Olivia Colman, Rachel Weiss, and Emma Stone, all three mm. very strong female performers. Yes. And like the trailers focused on those as pretty much being the only three characters Indeed. in the films. I think we should carry that forward. I think we should... Okay. Con- not not the um, the gender divide, but just having three, three very yep. strong leads yep. and not really like needing anyone else. Almost like okay. if you were putting on a play, you could do it with three actors on stage okay. for the most part. Yep. So the rest are just extras, I guess. The rest are extras. And I think we, like I do some weeks as well, is a blend. I really like the black dramedy yep. of uh, The, the Favourite. I really like the overly pretentiousness <laughs> uh, of uh, At Eternity's Gate. So yep. I think in some ways, I mean, they're both historical films. Yep. They both have a... They uh, both have uh, links to real world people. Real world people. Yep. They both have a... Uh, they're shot in an interesting way. Yep. They're telling an interesting subject matter. Great. And they have a small ensemble cast of yep. very, very well-known uh, yes. actors. And nicely shot too. They're all I very so. artistically shot and look nice, I guess. All right, so what are we going to do? We've done quite a lot of films with historical figures. We've done we Mozart. Have, yes. We've done uh, Pablo Picasso. Yep. Um, no, we didn't do Pablo we Picasso. We did uh, Salvador, Salvador Dali, Dali yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, Edgar Allan Poe. We did Edgar Allan Poe as well ago. a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Where do we, where do we okay. draw from from this one? So the thing that came into my mind when I was watching the trailer for uh, At Eternity's Gate is it seems like there's a, a handful of different artists in this film that you may recognise. Right, okay. And immediately what sprung to mind was like, what if there was an artist Avengers? Right, okay. Like, like a group, a collection of artists come together to do something i don't know what it is it could be a well, we've only got we've got a very strict limit of well that's three. just three so that's fine it's like batman robin and uh cat c- penguin uh, bat- <laughs> um yeah that that avengers group yeah um you remind me a little bit of um midnight in paris yes. where they have the yep. sort of ensemble i mean like we said we've touched on um el salvador uh or salvador dali with um with painting yep we've touched on mozart with music and yep. we've touched on edgar Allan poe with literature yep is there another Art discipline. Leonardo da Vinci did a few. He did sculpture. He did sculpture. 
Um, I, well, I was going to say, why don't we get Michelangelo and Donatello? No, hang on, wait. <laughs> I'm going down a weird track here. Although, having hang said that, set, you know what? We could do something which is very reminiscent of the Ninja Turtles, yep. but in a way that actually pays homage to the the actual disciplines <laughs> that they went through. Are you thinking like a gritty reboot of the Ninja Turtles? No, it's it's absolutely nothing to do with the Ninja Turtles. It doesn't even need to be an action film. Yep, but it is. Leonardo da Vinci. Yep. Um, uh, I don't even know. Raphael, someone <laughs> or other. Uh, okay, it is, it is just those three historical artists. Yep. And the fact that they happen to have um, cartoon fighting turtles namesakes is never re- mentioned or referenced. <laughs> that's purely is, by coincidence. just those yep. four okay. people. So that's four people. Oh, it has to be four if we're going to do okay. Raphael, Donatello, Michelangelo. Michelangelo and, and... Who's the other one? Leonardo? No. Uh, Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, Donatello, Raphael. Uh, I'm fairly sure they all lived at very different historical periods as well. It's always always between the 14th and the 15th century in Italy, um, but I would be very surprised if they were all alive simultaneously. Well, here's some quick research, and I'm doing the research by simply asking our Academy member about the Ninja Turtles themselves. Uh, So Leonardo, obviously named after the Italian polymath, who does a whole bunch of different things, Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, Michelangelo, named after the Italian Renaissance painter, sculptor, architect, poet, and engineer. Man, they're all multi-talented. They are very, very uh, multifaceted. Uh, Donatello, named after the early Renaissance Italian artist and sculptor from Florence, Donatello. uh, Yep. The early Sher of his day or her day. Um, Raphael is named after the Italian painter and architect of the High Renaissance, Raphael. Sure, there you go. I think what we're going to have to do here as well is two men, two females. And yep. we, we we say that history has um, said that these are all men, but mm-hmm. history has been rewritten to to write, write out the fact that two of these brilliant uh, architects and mathematicians and inventors and painters and sculptors yep. uh, were, were uh, women. And then we can, we can just trawl the... Um, the most recent Oscars for whoever was nominated because in our trailer it has to say Academy Award nominee, oh, yeah, Academy absolutely. Award nominee, Academy Award winner. Golden think, Globe nominee. I think Oscar Isaac only got a Golden Globe nominee <laughs> or Golden Globe winner. He feels like he's the odd one out in that uh, in that assembly of uh, yeah, those, those yeah. famous people. So the real question then becomes, yep. what are these Renaissance polymaths yep. doing? Uh, so are you... S- you mentioned not wanting to do an action film. But no, I- no, this is... I mean, we're going incredibly pretentious. Okay. They're doing something that is actually worth um, pursuing for humanity. humanity. They're... they're um, I, I can't even... T- and, and it's okay. obviously got to have that sort of dark dramedy. Yep. Like, one of the big things that the in the Renaissance that I'm aware of through um, my historical research in video games like Assassin's <laughs> Creed is that the Borgias, like, and the, the Pope had something to do with something. The- so, <laughs> so like, maybe they don't like the Borgias or maybe they do like the Pope. Uh, yeah, it could be that. I also think that maybe, what if they're, like, attempting to collaborate on some new invention or piece of work that is for the benefit of, of humankind oh, and right. they have a falling out as a result because they all have different ideas of what direction it needs to go into? I, you know what it is? They're building a cathedral. Yes, and it is this centerpiece cathedral in um, uh, in the middle of Rome. Yep, and and w- what we do is to make it historically accurate. These people don't have to have lived at the same time. Yep, the cathedral, the hundreds of years that it takes to build the th- cathedral. Yep, um, is the the point that bridges these people's lives, yeah. and at different points during the construction and life of the cathedral. Yep, each of these 
um, uh, historical figures has been brought on board yep. to to add to and change it in some way. Okay. And that way you have like a young Leonardo doing some initial concept sketches. Yep, yep. And then when he's old and Donatello's brought on to, yep. to do her touches or whatever, um, there's a, a relationship there. Okay. And it's, it's non-linear and it sort of bounces back and forth between time. Yeah, we could... I was also thinking, like, you mentioning across a series of time uh, gaps or whatever, I'm also thinking of The Notebook, which is a film I've never seen, but my understanding of it is that it happens across two periods of time and they they sort of write letters to each other over a period of, um, or sort of with a gap of about 20 or 30 years or something. And it's it's supposed to, like, it's basically like basic time travel that's never explained, but somehow one person in the future is writing letters to someone in the past. That's not at all what The Notebook is about. No? But, but what no, film right. am I thinking You're of You're thinking then? of The Lake House. That's the one. Where where Keanu Reeves and yes. uh, Sandra, Sandra Bullock, Bullock yeah. are putting letters in a mailbox. And yes. It's like, the, the Notebook, they like one of them is telling the story of their love and it's going back oh, to in no the fun. past. This, this one actually has magical time Great. travel letters. Okay. Uh, I've, no, I've not seen either of those films, but is that something that we can sort of implement in our film I don't in know. some way, shape, or form? Maybe like one of them leaves notes sort of scrawled yeah, in the okay. half-finished I, building. I like that. I like the idea, sort of taking from the idea of the prestige, yep. which has this sort of like non-linear structure of yeah, yeah. reading journals of people who have come before yes. and learning from there. And so we go, oh, you know, this is Raphael reading the notebook of Donatello, and we yep. flash back to Donatello doing the sketches, who's reading the notebook of Da Vinci. <laughs> yeah, obviously having to have a mirror there because. Yep. Da Vinci inconveniently write, <laughs> writes it backwards in an upside down mirror writing. Um, All right. and, and so and so we have this sort of like non-linear structure of yes. people leaving yep. this legacy for one another. Yep. Um, All right, this is sounding great. Now, the problem with this is that it's not pretentious enough yet. It, I mean, it is reasonably pretentious. It is, but it, it all, it, like, this is skirting along the edge of like, this could be a good idea for a film. It's not pretentious enough for my liking. Right, okay. So we need to somehow up the pretentiousness factor of All it. All right, so, I mean, they are definitely speaking Latin. Yes. And and we have, and our subtitles are in yellow because everyone knows <laughs> yeah, that yeah, the yeah. classiest translated subtitles yep, yep. always show up in yellow. Yep. When you flick over to SBS at SBS like 9.30 on a Saturday night, always you know some subtitles. like German film in black and white with yellow subtitles is going to happen. All right, cool. So we've, we've upped the pretension by having them speak in a foreign <laughs> language. All right, what else are we doing? Uh, I like the idea of like um, insane like artistic symbolism a la like Seventh Seal by Igmar Berg. Having death play the soldier, okay, uh, over a game of chess I, I on the beach, like they do in uh, At Eternity's Gate. Yep. There's this, there's this thing where um, uh, Vincent Van Gogh is going through these mental breakdowns, yep. and the, there's color shifts in the palettes used. Yep. Yep. Uh, we do that, yep. but in this one, Perfect. we have um, metaphysical, like maybe there's sculptures, maybe. Uh, did Da Vinci do? Who did the Statue of David? That was uh, Michelangelo. That was, yeah, yeah, like like Michelangelo actually has a conversation with the statue of Michelangelo yeah. as he's having the, the statue of David. Yeah, D- David. Yeah, yep. and, and the, also the statue of himself that he carved. <laughs> Um, I love this because I also like the idea of Leonardo da Vinci talking to the Vitruvian man. That's true. Do you know how big David is? He's like, huge. I, I, yeah. look, I mean, I've never seen him. I just assumed he was human-sized. No. And then I'm just like, no, this guy's like three <laughs> stories tall. He is enormous. Yeah. Like, where did I get this frame of reference? I feel as though it was the episode of The Simpsons. It is that, yeah. Where I'm just like, oh, he must just be person-sized. But even you watch that episode of The Simpsons and he's quite big in that episode. So yep. I'm like, like, no, surely that's a mistake. Surely when it says that he's... Uh, 30 feet tall they mean just they actually just meant 
six feet tall. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. And he's standing on a, a base, which is 10 yep. feet tall. Yep. I'm like, how is the base 10 feet tall if they've got this <laughs> tiny little six? No, he's enormous. <laughs> so can you imagine like uh, Michelangelo on this sort of stress interest? He's trying to solve the yep. the riddle of like, yep. you know, the perfect golden ratio of the columns <laughs> within this cathedral and it's it's driving him insane yep, yep. and then he all of a sudden this giant monstrous <laughs> statue of david comes to life and starts giving him inspirational talks yep, yep, yep. um who did he all michelangelo also painted the roof of the sistine chapel right uh i thought that was da vinci who that did was the da vinci? sistine chapel the oh interesting hang on uh I thought, I, i'm almost uh, certain that he, it was da vinci that did the sistine chapel uh yeah he was he painted the walls of the sistine chapel um, maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. I maybe thought it was it Michelangelo. Maybe it is Michelangelo. Yep, I'm getting far more hits for that. Um, <laughs> so it was Michelangelo who did the uh, the ceiling of the um, Sistine Chapel. Um, I always thought that was the 16th Chapel as well when I was little, <laughs> which is a bit weird. Um, I mean, it sounds like Sistine when you're a kid isn't a word, and 16th yep. is a word. Yep. So it made much more sense to be the 16th chapel maybe this is the 16th chapel the in 16th Rome. chapel yeah I think this is now the name of the film as oh, well right. uh, so we can avoid that hoo-ha later I on I actually quite like that the, yeah. the 16th chapel yep. and it, in, in a way it's like uh, maybe it takes like 160 years yep. to, to design and make and yep. like this is its story and we even yes. open the story with like the they're like they're opening it. This is yep. the grand. This is the grand chapel. There'll yep. never be one better yep. until the seventeenth chapel, <laughs> and it's definitely better than all of the fifteen chapels yep. that have come yep. before. What it. we do is we the the opening shot is like uh, the doors to the chapel closed with a like ribbon on it. Close up um, artistic shot of like I don't know something about to what did they have? they didn't have scissors back then but like a, a knife maybe yeah sure uh, to like cut the ribbon and then the doors start to open. And then we cut to black. And we go back in time. Back in time, and then um, forward in time, and, and then, then forward in time, and then back in time, and then we never return to the start of the film until right at the very end in a post-credit sequence. Yeah. Uh, because that's incredibly pretentious to require the audience to stay behind, not for an Avengers style, here's a bonus for you, no, for a like critical story-based reason for this film. You need to watch the entire credits and then watch the post-credit sequence as well uh, to understand what this film is all about. Um, all right, I like this. So, uh, what else can we do to like really up the art, the, the art house value of this? Um, I'm thinking like locked off camera shots as Absolutely. well. Lots of that. Like, um, we stick a camera up in the corner of the chapel. We should actually build the chapel. Actually, I think uh, so. I mean, the, the issue here is like whilst we're being so historically accurate yep. with every other detail of the life and times of these um, Renaissance uh, polymaths and architect. I mean, polymath covers it all. Yeah. Um, the fact that the 16th chapel doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Maybe that's also a point of, maybe we do the whole, oh, papa, <laughs> I found this diary and it shows yeah, of a yeah. building that does not exist anymore. Yep. And, I was like, and he looks it up and I was like, oh, little Pepe. Because <laughs> um, like, he says papa and it's Pepe. Yep. Um, oh, this is a historical find. This is... We are standing on the very spot where it should yep. be. And and that person needs to be a distant relative yeah. of one of those artists or as well. All of them. All of them. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so <laughs> yeah, so the, 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 we explain it away that way. It's like the, this, this grand, magnificent ch- uh, chapel used to exist. Yeah. And through time. So, again, we should probably call it the 16th chapel, but in Italian. Yeah. So I know like the Quattrocento oh, is like what the the 14th uh, century. Yep. Um what's 16th? Uh yeah, please don't yeah. tell me it's 16. <laughs> uh hang on I'm trying I'm I'm going to like cuz I know, I'm trying to think of the number for 16. I actually know 
how to count to at least 10. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, let me consult the Academy. Yes. Uh, and we'll find out how to say... And just ignore that your last name is Scarcella. <laughs> <laughs> and I live in Hollywood and I'm a successful film producer. Uh, here we go. Uh, La Sidicima... Sedicissima Capella. Sedicissima Capella. La Sedicissima Capella. Okay, cool. Great. And that's the 16th chapel. That's the 16th chapel in uh, Italian. Italian. Yes. Great. Which I will think then convert to Latin. I, I imagine in in um, 14th and 15th century Italy, yep. they're speaking Italian at that point. Yep. Um, but we're going to have it in Latin anyway. I think so. What we'll do on the poster, you know how they usually have, sometimes on our foreign films, they'll put the translation of the title underneath it. Yeah. Our translation will be in Latin. So we're just going to convert La Sedicissima Capella into Latin, into and that's going to be on cool. the poster. Uh, with no other visual imagery, by the way. It's just going to be the text on a black poster. Um, okay. This is feeling suitably pretentious now. Oh, I think so. Uh, suitably art house. Do we need some... So, okay, some uh, of the artists... Uh, Whatever one we choose needs to be in black and white. As yes, well. okay, I like I like that. But but black and white, where like in Schindler's List, there is one color, and you always oh, see yeah, that yep, color. Absolutely. Um, let's use uh, so Donatello looked to be more of a sculptory kind of type, and did, uh, did a lot of like uh, I guess bronzy kind of statues as okay. well. Um, so I like. I mean, normally you see that that color is always one of the primary colors. I yeah. like it being a metallic color. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so Donatello is in, is shot entirely in black and white, yep. except for the things that are bronze yes. showing up as being. Because I like the idea as well that like Donatello only sees in bronze as well. Yeah, so, like, oh, even even like if he's a sculptor as well. Yep. Unlike the other ones who are artists, he doesn't even see in color. He sees yep. in shapes yeah. and tones yes. and shades. And I, I like the idea, right? Like, if he's got a piece of bronze that's got all this other stuff attached to it, and he hasn't figured out, or he's trying to create a statue. From his viewpoint, he sees the whole statue, the color of it. Everything else surrounding it is black and white. So yeah. he just like gets it rid of the focus he gets on, yeah. rid of the black and white parts, and then what's left is this beautiful statue that he sculptured. Um, so that's the only thing he sees. He sees the artwork before it's even made because it's the only thing he can see. Uh, in the same way that like um, Vincent Van Gogh only sees this world that no one else seems yeah, to exactly. see. He he sees light in a different way. The yes. way that light interplays with yep. things. Yeah, that's that's Donatello's thing. Yep. Are we going to cast Donatello now? Yeah, why not? Um, I'm thinking, how about... And it needs to be Oscar nominee or Oscar winner. <laughs> to be honest, Donatello kind of looks like Willem Dafoe. Really? <laughs> yes. Uh, I'll just send you over the picture. It's like Willem Dafoe by way of Genghis Khan. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully by the time this film's made, William Dafoe's won the Academy Award for <laughs> At Eternity's Gate. Yes. And so he can be in our film as, yep. as Donatello. Yep. He's surely been nominated for something. I think he's he's definitely... Spider-Man, but this surely. Is, I mean, we've got we've to really have the cream of the crop here. Cream of the crop, okay. Uh, we can't really just go with... Um, with any old uh, any old person. It has yep. to be an Academy Award winning nominee or any of those ones there. Yep. Okay. All right. So now we move on to uh, Raphael. Raphael. So Raphael uh, looks looks quite young. Um, so I'll just send you over the image now. Oh, yeah. This is definitely one of the um, the, the ones that history has rewritten yep. to be male, but was definitely originally female. Yep. Um, and has... Uh, what sort of look? Again, Rachel Weisz would be pretty good for this one. We can't, really can't just keep stealing the actors <laughs> and actresses from the trailers of the movies that we've watched. Kind of looks like um, what's her face from Girls, the creator of Girls? Lena Dunham. Yeah. Dunham. 
I don't think she's won an Oscar, though. No, no, definitely. But she may have won Golden Globes or People's Choice. Yep. Or, um, how about okay? Awards. How about um, how about Tilda uh, Tilda Swinton? Interesting. She's definitely won stuff that I'm aware of. <laughs> uh, and she has that kind of like ability to really transform her look into. Anything. I mean, I was about to say, I'm not sure she'd be right for this, but like, I don't think I've ever seen like a film that Tilda Swinton's been in that isn't incredibly <laughs> pretentious. Wasn't she in one of the Golden Compass films? She was also in Constantine. The, <laughs> <laughs> the Keanu Reeves plays a, a fallen <laughs> demon hunter. Um, yeah, so uh, sure, I think so. I think yep. like uh, that's that's a pretty good, yep. um, sharp faced. Uh, weird looking yep. um as as Raphael Tilda Swinton. Yep. Now we have a problem because you you mentioned that you wanted to have like uh, a 50/50 kind of male female casting. Yep. The last two characters we have to cast do look quite male. They both feature very heavy beards, but maybe we do it like Kate Blanchett in that Bob Dylan film. Yeah. Or even Gwyneth Paltrow having to be pretends to be a like you know it, it could work out all right. Oh man, what film was that? Shakespeare in Love. Of course. Uh, so we've got Leonardo da Vinci, classic bearded. I Jesus reckon man good casting dude. for Leonardo is Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz, yes. I think he. Uh, I think he is Academy Award winning Christoph Waltz. Yep. Uh, Michelangelo again looks like Willem Dafoe. Um, <laughs> can we cast him again? I don't think so. Does William Dafoe have a sister? Um, <laughs> Uh, who who would be good? What about Gwyneth Paltrow? Is she? Uh, she's probably too busy telling people to eat health food and shove eggs up your your private bits if you want. Um, what about Kate? Well, so we do Kate Blanchett. Kate, quite a lot. Kate Blanchett's every other week. Yeah, she's such a fantastic actress. She really is. But, um, I mean, she is a. What about Woody? Um, Judy Dench. Judy Dench is a bit too old. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe maybe yeah. I if we're gonna do characters who who go through time, Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson is a perfect casting because she for this has one. definitely won an she, Oscar for writing screenplay, and for acting. Yeah, for Sense and Sensibility, I believe. Yeah, and um, Nanny McPhee's probably the other one. <laughs> uh, sure, uh, that's that's great. I, I like that. I like that cast. We have Tilda yeah. Swinton, uh, Emma Thompson, Emma Thompson, uh, Christoph Waltz, and William and Defoe. Willem Dafoe. Plus, we recast Willem Dafoe. What's that? Do we recast Willem Dafoe? Does he I, I fit think, this cast? I think so. I think he's... All right. I'm fine I think with he's that. Fine. I think he's fine in that role. Okay. The, I think the interesting one here is these actors mm. are never in scenes together. Ever. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, we, we pretty much go... And, and that, I mean, logistically works out quite well because we don't have to book them all at the same time. Yep. But I think in the film, as part of the editing, we will have shots where they're, like, ghosting over each other as oh, well. Absolutely. So, like, we overlay, like, four different uh, time frames over the top of each other at some point in the film. So you just see these, like, ghostly versions of each of the actors doing their thing on the scene. But they never actually physically interact with each other while we're shooting. So they're all shot separately. Um, but, yeah, they never have to meet each other in the film. I think, I think yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good idea. Yeah. Um, I still, I'm still lacking one, one key element of pretension. Yes, and I'm just like, I'm not a hundred percent sure what it is. Yep. Is it a soundtrack? Yeah. That is like only, only made using like industrial <laughs> equipment. Yes. So like, it's it's some weird German sound producer who goes yep, to an yep. old <laughs> factory and yep. he just records the clanking sounds there, <laughs> and it's and it's sort of we use it like the the um. The Birdman one shot, kind yep. of like this is clank a dunk, clank clank dunk, <laughs> and that's the entire um, no, film. No dialogue either. No dialogue. I right. mean, we still. I mean, there is there is like there's dialogue in Birdman, right? Yeah. And maybe we do the whole thing as like a one shot, like 
like one of one of the characters their yep. entire arc is a one shot as well yep um yeah good idea um yep. but the, this this sort of clank just sort of goes through the entire film yep and everyone's like that's a really weird choice and i'm like yeah it is but then we can we can subtitle that soundtrack as well in latin so we'll yeah. have like if we say i don't know if we want to have dialogue or not but i think there should be some scenes where there isn't any dialogue and the dialogue is basically the soundtrack itself. The soundtrack is telling you... Like, it's basically telling you what these characters are saying. But then we also use... We yeah, also subtitle those as well. Oh, right. You're, you're subtitling... The clanks and the knocks. And the, the, the groaning metal yep. as it's being strained yep. as is like... the Like it's literally yep. uh, and physically being strained yes. and stretched beyond yep. beyond the, the shape in which it was originally yep. forged. Yep. And the subtitles will be metaphorical in nature as well. Yeah, so exactly. Not actually indicating actual dialogue, but like, let's say they do have a groan or whatever, the subtitle in Latin will just read anguish, despair. Well, I mean, that's that's what I really dislike about these um, uh, soundtracks you see. It's just like, I've got two pictures and it says music plays. Yep. And I'm like, is it a forlorn crying yeah. of a strained gear <laughs> that's missing two of its teeth <laughs> as it tries to push the conveyor? But like, yep. this is the kind of descriptions yep. that we need Absolutely. because the music is so emotional. Yep. How how do you convey that if not through poetry? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, so, so that, that's how I was going to be. No, di- I, think, I think I'm going to double down on the no dialogue thing. I don't think our film should have any, any, any any like traditional dialogue? Actually, I like I like that 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 entire sort of like in, in any of the arcs, or is it just one of the arcs? Uh, I don't think in any, I don't I think we can pull it off in all of the arcs. Yeah, okay, that's I like that. But I really like that actually. I think we need to find a different way to convey dialogue in inverted commas for each of those arcs. So one of them is the clanking soundtrack that will cover the um, the artistic kind of all the the, the feel intent of the scene uh another one might just be um there's like someone doing morse code in the back for some reason yeah um or like a sign language interpreter comes up on screen um or yeah i, I don't i like it i like the the no i mean it's really going to be hard for subtitles because <laughs> where are the yellow subtitles going to come in i suppose it's the poetry of the, the poetry music of the music yeah, comes up in, in yep. poetic subtitles yes but it's, it's definitely not what the the people are saying exactly and uh, I mean, you need to understand Latin to read those subtitles anyway. Exactly. That's why it's a very interesting experience. This one. It's an auditory. It is. It is visual. Borderline unwatchable, <laughs> and that's exactly what we're going for. <laughs> okay. Brilliant. Uh, and uh, yeah, I guess that's it. We do have a name for this film already. Yeah, thankfully, la, which la is. Sesta de sesta de <laughs> like, <laughs> oh gosh, I like, and I actually speak some Italian as well. La sedi. Cisima Capella, uh, and then whatever that is in Latin will be the subtitle translation. For exactly, that, which is in common uh, parlance. <laughs> common parlance. The sixteenth chapel. Sixteenth chapel, um, and I think that's a wrap. I think you might be right. All right, housekeeping. As per usual, we are online at moviefilmstudios.net where you can find all of our previous episodes, our bios, and of course, Mephuzawadada, which is a database of the films that we've created on this podcast. Search Facebook for Movie Film Studios and join the community where we post clues as to the upcoming trailers for upcoming episodes. Uh, how are you going to go this week? Tough week. Tough week. Tough, super tough week. <laughs> is there... How are you gonna? How look, are you gonna convey the pretentiousness of at eternity's gate with emojis? I can probably do gate. Yep. I can probably do family for instant family, <laughs> and that's pretty that much <laughs> the extent of it. I, I tell you what, I have been having fun though with um, the Google Translate because yep. you don't just put it in once. Yep. You've got to run it through really the machine, run it through, so, the cycle it through yep. um, three or four different languages. Yep. The kind of stuff that you come out is crazy. Yep. I I was showing a friend this, and we did. Um, 
uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest <laughs> and it was um, uh, came out with um, uh, the bird and the dark horse. <laughs> I'm like, where did it get any of these? What we, what words translated from? I get the bird, bird but where did dark horse come from? And it completely, completely got rid of the idea of flying. So <laughs> Maybe in honour of this week's uh, film, you need to first of all translate them to Italian and then from Italian into Latin and then from Latin into English. We'll see. We'll see what comes out on the work. other side there. All right, and uh, we are on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, and any other place that you get podcasts from. Uh, as a side note, Isaac and I will be performing in a couple of improv shows uh, on the 22nd and 23rd of September as part of Sydney Fringe Festival. Yep, so that's the Factory Theatre in Marrickville? Yes, that's where we will be performing, uh, uh, and performing the Rat King Fairy Tale, which will be a completely improvised look at the world of fairy tales yeah it should be fun where can they book tickets for that one you can AJ? book tickets on the Sydney Fringe Festival website just search for Rat King or Fairy Tale or combinations of those and yeah. you should find it and I think that's it all that remains is to thank you all again for listening this week I've been Isaac and I've been AJ roll credits Not-